Welcome to Money in Your Life, the radio program that gives you the insight and motivation to be more successful with all aspects of your personal finances. Your hosts are Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. Today's program will feature experts and intriguing ideas that will show you how money is actually operating in your life. Now, here are Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. Welcome to Money in Your Life, a weekly program where we explore the influence of money in your life. I'm Brian Farr. And I'm Ann Hutchins. You know, I heard an interview the other day with a neuroscientist who works for a video gaming company. And he was talking about the upcoming holidays and, quote unquote, improvements in gaming design that get kids to play longer and longer. It's pretty scary, really. Yes, yes. The stuff that they can do where it's the interaction between the uh, electronics and the people's and people's brains, especially little kids' brain. Well, our guest today is Dr. Maggie Baker. She's the author of Crazy About Money, which has a very interesting subtitle, How Emotions Confuse Our Money Choices and What to Do About It. So she, I'm sure, is going to have some insights on what's going on with people's brains when uh, these uh, video gamers get, uh, get tied into that, uh, that screen. So, Dr. Baker, are you on the line yet this morning? Yeah, I'm right here. Welcome to the show. Good well, morning. Well, thanks very much. I'm just delighted to be on this show, and I'm very much looking forward to talking to you and to your audience. Excellent. Great. Well, I know in your book, one of the things that you use, some language that struck me, was you refer to the brain as the decision engine. And uh, I wonder if we could just jump right in this morning and, and you could give us some thoughts about what's going on with the brain and how it impacts our choices around money. Okay. Well, I think that the main thing that I would want to talk about is the limbic system, and that's the part of the brain that controls emotion. And the area of the brain that impresses me the most is called the nucleus accumbens, which is considered the pleasure center of our brains. And anything that affects uh, pleasure usually heightens people's engagement and focus. So that if you, uh, Anne, you mentioned those games that kids play. Yeah. The uh, makers of those games have figured out how to tickle somebody's nucleus accumbens, <laughs> and they create pleasure for the kids, and that yeah. pleasure becomes compelling. Yeah. And the same kind of, of pleasure can be in taking all kinds of financial risks that seem very, very exciting um, mm-hmm. and that hopefully will pay off big time, but sometimes the excitement is greater than the payoff. So we can, uh, I think the main point here is that we can often be fooled by our emotions if they're running us and we're not running them. So so Maggie, let me jump in. Without getting too technical, what's going on that that the brain experiences looking at a, at a video screen as pleasurable or taking financial risk as pleasurable? What is it that's actually happening in the brain? Well, it, it, they, fortunately, because of the imaging that, that we can do now in the brain, mm-hmm. what yep. they will see is that area of the nucleus accumbens lighting up. So okay. that if you're anticipating, and so much of what we do is wrapped up in anticipation, uh, anticipation if we anticipate uh, making a lot of money on something, that anticipation can light up 
the excitement and the hopefulness and pleasure so that it can drive your behavior in a way that doesn't doesn't yield itself to as much vigilance as somebody might have if they are very, very knowledgeable about their emotions and are not driven yeah. by them. Would it be right to say that they're flooded, that this nucleus accumbens gets flooded with neurotransmitters or whatever it is that's going on in there? Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, you're, if you go, it, let's say you go, if you're a hockey fan and you go to a hockey game and your team is winning and you're jumping up and down and yelling and screaming, you know, you can get really carried away with that sense of excitement. And I think that same sense of excitement and anticipation can carry people away in the financial area, too. Or, well, you know, if, if you um, want to buy something and you think, oh, boy, you know, I can't wait to buy this. Yeah. Your nucleus accumbens is lighting up and telling you, go get it quick. And the other and, part of your brain, which may be a little more rational, is taking a back seat to that excitement. And, and you can, yeah. Sorry, sorry, Maggie. It's Anne. And I, you, in your book, you talk about how uh, people's brains, d different money types. There, there are different money types. People's brains light up differently. Yes. Is that is that right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Well, the let me talk about two types: the spender and the hoarder. The spender. Sure is somebody that I was just beginning to describe. They get a lot of excitement about the idea of buying something. And they like the idea of getting a shiny new object, don't we all? But um, And they like the process of buying it, being in the store, getting something new, taking it home, playing with it. And their immediate experience is what they're after. It just feels good to do that. And an example of that, and I'm going to give an extreme example just to make a point, somebody who loved to shop, who made it kind of their profession, and they luckily had a husband who could support it, but it got a little out of hand when the house got so full of her uh, purchases that there was no room for them to sit in the living room. And oh, fortunately, gosh. he had enough money, so he bought her an apartment so she could use it as a closet. Oh, my. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's yeah. spending, spending to the extreme. That's, uh, like the, that's the spending equivalent of an alcoholic who just spends exactly, his exactly. or her time that, in the bar the, all day. That's exactly the problem, that, that some of these pleasure-motivated things, if they're, if they're completely unchecked, can become addictions. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and on the other side of it, you have somebody who is – experiencing a great deal of fear in relation to money and that kind of person would be considered a hoarder where they they every time they think about money they think about loss and the fear of what's going to happen if they don't have enough so they hold it very tightly mm -hmm. and they miss out on a lot because number one they can't enjoy money and number two in terms of investing they're so conservative that that they miss out on a lot of really good opportunities. But that's driven by the uh, uh, a kind of an overreaction in the amygdala, the fear center of the brain, which is, again, part of the emotional system mm -hmm. of the brain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's, once again, it comes back to the brain is, is giving messages and how they play out in our life. Exactly. Uh, 
Yeah. Now, one of the things I know there's some other money types and I'd like to get to them then in a minute. But the one that I really want to focus on is the money master, because Ah. that seems, you know, let's so many self-help books do 80 percent on the problem and then 10 percent on the solution. And, And I'm wanting in today's show, let's talk about what a money master looks like, what we can all uh, aspire to. Okay. Well, the first thing about money masters is they usually have quite a lot of gray hair because this is, it's a life adventure to become a money master. And that doesn't mean you can't become a money master when you're 40, but it really does take a long time to kind of re- revise old ideas about money, old childhood emotions and attitudes about money. And I think of it as kind of an evolving adventure. And mm-hmm. the earlier you start it, the better, like in your 20s. But mm-hmm. money masters tend to be very engaged with their money. They're not afraid of it. Uh, they're not wild with it. But they see it as something that will build their life and build a part of their happiness that will allow them access to doing the things, other things that they love in their life. They have goals, be they big or small, and they they work, they focus on them to achieve those goals. And one of the things that I think is, is pivotal is the idea of being able to trust trustworthy people. If you try to manage your money on your own and keep it all to yourself, which people do if they're scared or feeling ashamed or, or a lot of negative emotions, it's very, very difficult to do, particularly in these times, because information is so important to doing a good job with money. And if you isolate yourself, you're not going to be in touch with the kind of information that you need. Mm-hmm. And I think the last thing I would say is that they have a very balanced attitude. They like the money, they enjoy it, but they're not a worshiper of money, and it doesn't control them. Okay. Boy, that sounds like an attractive person. It sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm still working on it. (laughs) Well, exactly. And I love the way that you use the word adventure. Over time, an adventure where you build up trust. And Brian and I have talked about this. Long-term relationships with people to help you manage the money. Yes. You know, Mm -hmm. and trust in yourself. Well, that is fundamental, and I think the thrust of my book is really to talk about getting to know yourself, and the more you get to know yourself and your own relationship to money, the more successful you're going to be in dealing with it yourself and inspiring other people to do the same. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's a piece in here that just comes down to self-knowledge. Um, so that you, you would, you'd spoken about the spender and the hoarder, and I know that there's four more money mm-hmm. types. And, and so it seems to me that what the money master has done is not necessarily eliminated tendencies, but they don't have those tendencies in the driver's seat. Exactly, exactly. Because why not? I mean, you work hard to make money. Why not enjoy spending it? Just mm-hmm. don't overspend. Mm-hmm. So what I hear you talking about, Maggie, is over time an observation about and and real, not analysis, but an observation and an appreciation for 
what works and what doesn't work in your money life. Exactly. And, and yeah. try, you know, experimenting, yeah. taking opportunities, mm-hmm. seeing how they play out. And one of the things that I'm very, very strong about is the whole idea of tracking. It's like if, if you can take a, a kind of an editor's stance with yourself and try different things and then track them and see how well they work. That's really important because a lot of people start things and then they hit a bump and, oh, well, that's the end of that, rather than thinking, okay, we got a bump here, but let's figure out options for getting around it. Okay. One of the things you said is that the money master is somebody who has been – as you said, has some gray hair, has has been alive for a number of decades. But what you're describing right now sounds like something people in their 20s and in their 30s, that's that's available to all of us to start being more aware over time, tracking it over time so we get the results of our money decisions. Right. At tracking and being systematic. For instance, when I advise right. people people in their 20s, okay, you don't have much money, you're paying off student loans, you're wanting to go out, et cetera, but set something up like $50 a month in savings and get it taken out of your check so you never see it Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and just start piling it up. And it may not be, quote, that much, but over time and with the concept of compounding, it will matter in the long run. But, you know, people in their 20s are not thinking about what life is going to be like when they're 60. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's the piece around balance. When I'm hearing you say if someone isn't in their, in their 20s and setting aside $50 a month, that does leave money to, you know, to go out to a concert, to go mm-hmm. to a ball game, to do mm-hmm. the other kinds of things that we like to do, you know. Um, so that's the balance piece that you're talking about, it seems. Right. And if I can, if, if I can foray back to the brain – uh, it's certainly, I think everybody acknowledges that negative emotion is much easier to feel because the way we're, we're emotionally wired in our brain is for danger and, and, mm-hmm. and looking for things that might hurt us. Mm-hmm. So that the negative emotions act as signals to get our attention so we can either fight or flight. Mm-hmm. But I think that, that now much of the fight-flight is in the symbolic uh, realm, like when you get your portfolio statement at the end of the month. That could make mm-hmm. you feel really anxious, and you want to either get rid of yeah. your financial advisor or, or you or, want to never open it again. Mm-hmm. Or um, even the, the electricity bill or the gas bill in January or February exactly. when it's twice, twice, exactly. and it's just a tight month because you've had Christmas. And so mm-hmm. what you're saying is that that triggers the fight-or-flight response. Right, and it triggers negative emotion. And one of the things that that I have learned, particularly in the last few years from a lot of the positive psychology literature, is that positive emotion has a huge impact, but it's harder to capture because it's not as intense. I mean, our brains are wired, so if something triggers us with fear, we're off and running. If, If we see a beautiful sunset... Um, we can feel warm and wonderful about it, but it, it's a fleeting feeling. It doesn't last that long unless you work at installing it in you ah. by kind of savoring it and wow. thinking about it. So, so that's that – that, 
I'm just, I'm, forgive me for jumping in, but all of a sudden I'm thinking about money, specifically around uh-huh. money, the good experiences we have around money, the enjoyment yeah. we might get from spending some money. That has a much lower, a much shorter half-life, you're saying, than something that was traumatic or something that was painful around exactly. our money. It, okay. it, just, it doesn't grab us in the same way. And mm-hmm. what, yeah. I'm, so, what I'm trying to train myself to do is really take those extra few minutes to appreciate something that felt wonderful and exciting, like being on this program and mm-hmm. or just looking out at this beautiful fall day. I'm sitting on my porch so I can see all the color changing in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and just thinking about that and how uplifting that mm-hmm. can feel. And that if you practice that, that will really help keep the fe- positive feelings more alive and with you. Mm-hmm. And around money, it's great. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. so, you, so you're talking about rewiring. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And the b- brain is plastic enough so that you can do that. And even with my gray hair that's dyed blonde, I can <laughs> still have enough plasticity in my brain so I'm really excited about my own rewiring at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is fascinating. That this is so. It's it's actually it's at this fundamental level of the brain that is is your work is pointing to the to the idea that we can rewire and develop a new relationship with money. Absolutely. If we, if we pay attention and track mm-hmm. it over time, and, and allow the changes to occur. And. Allow uh, allow yourself to understand the distortions you have about money because you can't you can't uh, deny them over. Okay. You have, to, you have to feel the negative and work through it in order okay. to get to the point of kind of a, a, a more positive and deeply felt attitude. Okay, Maggie, we need to take a break, but I think that would be a good place to pick up when we come back. Okay. Some of these negative patterns so we can get past them. Very we good. will be back in just a few minutes with Dr. Maggie Baker. If you would like to join our conversation, please call us at 866-472-5790. Or you can email us, moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. You have money in your life. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you have financial goals for yourself? Do you want to be smart with money in all areas of your life? If you're ready to become more effective with your personal finances, then you might be ready to hire a financial coach. Since 2002, Brian Farr has helped hundreds of people improve their relationship with money. He's unbiased, honest, and approachable. If you'd like to learn more about financial coaching, visit Brian's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.brianhfar.com. The goal of financial coaching is to open up the conversation around money with your spouse, your children, or your extended family. Anne Hutchins works with individuals, families, and financial professionals to improve relationships with money. Her work with clients is confidential, honest, and fun. Visit Anne's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.abhutchins.com. That's abhutchins.com. 
always talking business, talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Money in Your Life with Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. I'm Brian Farr with my co-host Ann Hutchins and our guest, Dr. Maggie Baker. Just before the break, we were talking about money masters, the people who make why they are the wise financial decision makers who are confident about their future financial security. And Maggie, you were just beginning to tell us about um, the importance of, of self-awareness of what are the what are the negative states that, that prevent us from becoming money masters. Could you say some more about that? Sure. Well, it starts in childhood. Being a good psychologist, I certainly believe that very deeply. And we pick up attitudes from our parents and from the basic culture, and they go into two specific basic pots. Either one, you grow up with a sense of abundance, meaning that you don't have tremendous fear about money and you feel that your needs will be taken care of, or scarcity, where you feel that there will never be enough and your needs will always be in question. So that if you if you have particularly the sense of scarcity, it can create a lot of negative around money, meaning that it, it will always elude you or that it becomes so important that you're driven to make as much money as possible to reassure yourself out of that sense of scarcity. But then you over-focus on it and you don't pay attention to much else. So when you're speaking about scarcity and abundance here, a little child's not going to be so much aware of money. So I guess what I, my question is, you're talking about scarcity and abundance specifically around money or just one's experience of life? I think it, it's around money, and a kid will not know it's around money, but kids pick up tension so that if they see their parents fight about money, or if they see one parent go crazy when they look at the credit card bill and say things like, oh, my gosh, we don't have enough money. How are we ever going to pay this? How are we going to – the child absorbs that. And okay. kids are very uh, egocentric, so they think, oh, my gosh, what did I do to cause that? Mm-hmm. And that can lead them to think that, oh, maybe the fact that I need this, that, or the other thing is making my parents not have enough money. And you can imagine what that does to a child's self-esteem. And especially if money is not talked about and parents are not aware that their behavior is affecting their children, all this can go underground. And the child has kind of half-truths in their mind about money. And they act as if those half-truths are real if they're not corrected. So in, in my work with getting people to understand their relationship to money, we have to go back and, and re-examine childhood to find out what half-truths they have about money and mm-hmm. what feeling states, like a sense of helplessness, um, a sense of fear, a sense of anger, you know, all those dark emotions 
that can really get in the way of somebody functioning well with money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So those are the kinds of things that people need to develop an awareness, either working with a psychologist or a financial coach, or possibly with your book. There's different exercises in your book that can mm-hmm. help people, can guide people into an exploration of these these uh, emotions and these these half truths. Yes, I think that that one one exercise in the book that that is is wonderful for people to do is called a money dialogue. Mm-hmm. And what that is, that you pretend that money is a person. So you imagine if money were a person, what they'd look like. And then you make up a dialogue with money. So you might say, money, why are you always leaving me? And money would say, well, you don't treat me very well, so why should I hang around? And then you kind of just evolve from there. And I found that that gives people very quick access to some of their distortions about money. And some of their strong feelings about money. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It uh, it pers- it sounds like it personifies it. I want to pick up again on the types, uh, Maggie, because one of the th- the things that I heard you when you're talking about the negative emotions, I started to. Um, in your book, you talk about amassers, and can we can we just go on with that? Sure. Because they they certainly do manifest the negative emotions manifest themselves in the types. They certainly do, and let me give you the example of the high roller. The high roller Great. is somebody who uh, is seeking the big win, and is just this side of being a gambler. So they'll go after a deal that that might be very, very high risk, but they will not pay attention. But Mm -hmm. they they like the the spender. They like the excitement of the idea and the possibility of the big win. And they don't see every time they lose, it's not calculated as a loss. It's calculated as a near miss. That's kind of the gambler's fallacy. So they they don't have that self-correction of, failure and so they can go on and and get into huge debt because they're always chasing a big deal that's the high roller now the good part of it is that you know they have a lot of excitement but it's kind of misfired excitement right right and on the other side of that uh is the money monk Uh, i love that term but that's somebody who has a sense of morality about money that it's it's dirty lucre and they're, they want to be above money and they don't want to have anything to do with it because they feel that it's, it's kind of, you know, one of those, those earthly pleasures that shouldn't be indulged upon. It's kind of a snotty attitude about money. And a, a lot of people who go into pure research are like that because they, they just want to be concerned with science and, you know, the big issues of the world and they, they just don't want to deal with that. And, of course, if they're like that, then the money gets out of control because they're essentially avoiding it for a different reason than an avoider avoids it. Right. And it's important in all of this to say that these are not these – are, these types are not set for life, right? So if you oh. observe or you identify yourself as a certain type, the work is, just as you said, to notice and to experiment – and to move towards the mastery, correct? Because there are good good parts in the risk taker and the 
the monk. Absolutely, absolutely. Because I mean, the the money monk is somebody who values uh, life goals and life pursuits that have very little to do with money. And my, if somebody's a money monk, I would say, well, take a look at your money, and learn to deal with it so that it can just foster more of what you love. And you're right, Anne, that the the uh, excitement in the uh, high roller is wonderful. But it yeah. just needs to be channeled better. Yeah. So you've given us four. Is that correct? You've given us four types. Okay. And, there are a and more. here's one that 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 gets close to is the closest to being the money make money money master in the making, and that is an amasser. And an amasser is the type of person who would forego immediate spending and put money into, say, a real estate deal or uh, uh, something in the stock market with the idea of watching it grow. And their satisfaction comes from, at the end of every month, seeing that they've got a little bit more and they're building something. And, of course, Mm -hmm. they're the financial planner's dream. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Most people don't come that way, but (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> we hope to build yeah. into a masters and then money masters. Yes. Yeah. And, and then the sixth one is the avoider. Yeah, the avoider is somebody who just doesn't unlike unlike the the money monk. It, there's not an issue of morality here. It's an issue of extreme anxiety. So that a, a good example is one person I worked with who was a teacher and. She never opened her mail because she didn't want to see what was in it. And Uh-oh. she had three card tables in her small living room full of unopened mail. And the reason she came to me was that the, the bill collector started calling her. She just felt so overwhelmed by that. She finally asked for help. Mm. But she was yeah. scared and, yeah. and anxious. And felt that it was so overwhelming to try to deal with money, she just didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. 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 Boy, that'd be that's well. As a as a coach, I'm sitting here and thinking, okay, the different types. Uh, it's probably it doesn't it's not who's worse than the other, but in terms of moving towards money mastery, the secret is to identify what fits, what is closest to my own way of being. Uh, and then moving towards money mastery and not being controlled by this particular type that I brought probably out of my childhood. Right. And I think that the most important thing I'd like to to say is that people get stuck because they they blame themselves and get down on themselves because something isn't working right. And what I would like to say is, wait a minute, this is a problem to be solved. And I would love you to have enough self-compassion so that you can look at these things and say, oh, this is the way I've been doing them. doesn't work really well. Let's try something else rather than, oh, this doesn't work very well. I'm a terrible bad person and I just uh, should give up. Mm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's it's also what I find with my clients. It's a matter of sorting out responsibility. How much is my responsibility, and how much is how much is it due to a crazy system that's been developed, whether it's banking or mortgage or and that we can spend hours on that. But it is sorting out responsibility and giving yourself a break, right? Absolutely, and and also holding other people accountable. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, one thing I might mention is that the reason that I wrote this book is because I got into trouble with money myself, and mm-hmm. part of it was my own naivete, and the other part of it was working with a very, very aggressive financial uh, broker. And right. at the time, I didn't know exactly what was happening, and it, it took me a long time to to recognize that, and, and I was very harsh on myself. And if there was one thing I would say to me is if I hadn't been so harsh in judgment against myself for getting into that mess, I would have gotten out of it a lot sooner. So I'd like exactly. to pass on to other people, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that, that's a really, really important point is don't be the avoider in that case and talk to a coach or talk to a find ask trusted friends yeah. about financial advice. And also the, I think educate yourself about about finances. You know, it's yeah. not it's not the most glamorous thing in the world to sit down and and uh learn that kind of information, but it's so useful. It's life-saving. Right. Yes. Yes. That's that's one of the keys that that I find in in my practice in my coaching practice is that people sometimes are just a little bit of knowledge short of having self confidence. Mm-hmm. They'll have mm-hmm. a basic understanding, but there'll be some some aspects of the financial world that they just don't quite understand, and it prevents them. You know, and once they get that, they're like, oh, so that's what's going on, and then it then they can move forward from that. They can get unstuck. Yeah, isn't it great to see the light bulbs go off like that? Oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely. And, and isn't it ironic that we live in an Internet age where there's a blizzard of information at your fingertips and you can and we still have this lack of lack of it's not lack of curiosity. It's, it, it, I mean, that's one of the reason that we're doing this show, finding out what the sources are that will get you to the place where you can manage your own financial life. Not by yourself. Right. Yes. Uh, the interdependence is the great word for the 21st century. We're all so interdependent. Yeah. A- and if we can utilize that instead of not, we're, I think we're all better off. But I think the other thing that can really scare people is the amount of disinformation that's yes. available to us and how to sort what's real what's good information and what is not good information Mm -hmm. and i go back to you know when you were talking before the i took down just a couple of notes about the the process experiment track trust and hold people accountable yes that's great yeah. That's a good. That's a good. That's a good uh, summary. And that's those. And what you're saying there. That's something that that can be turned into a little mantra almost. Am I aware of these things? Yeah. 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 Am I doing that? I think that there's one of the things around money. Uh, you've talked about that blaming ourselves, and that's really connected up with shame. Mm-hmm. That, that in 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 the ten years, ten plus years, I've been working closely with people around finances. That the 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 shame that we carry 
um, from our own previous behaviors, mistakes that we made. It's it's like many times around money, they don't get unpacked, they don't get resolved, they just get stuffed away, and then and shame can grow out of that. And it seems like that keeps people really stuck. Right, and and shame is such a difficult emotion to experience and particularly to share that it it hides under a rock and just grows and grows. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so having one of the things that you said earlier, Anne, was having a trusted other, somebody else to talk to. And sometimes around money, if we're inside of a, a small family system, we can all have a shared belief around money. So it'll keep the whole the whole unit kind of stuck. So sometimes finding a way to get information in, finding a trusted other outside of that unit is is part of the solution. It's, it's, yeah, it's introducing the uh, introducing this whole what 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 Maggie's talking about, introducing the observation to uh, to the small group starting by saying, well, what's working here and what's not? And do we need to bring another person in, an outside advisor in? Okay. Yeah. Well, and yeah. I think this is particularly an issue for women because uh, it, at least um, in, in my upbringing, the money was always the province of men. Yes. And okay. so I, I, when I got married, I just immediately assumed that my husband knew what he was doing. <laughs> I found out that that wasn't necessarily true, so it it, it became almost a well, it became a real adventure for me to say, wait a minute, I can be just as good at this as any man can be. I just have to learn, and yes. essentially that's what I did, full of mistakes, but eventually I learned very well, so that now I couldn't be happier with my money situation. Well, yeah. Congratulations on that. Well, thank you. you know, we need to take a uh, take a break. Um, I know that we have a caller, so when we come back from break, we can uh, take take that call. So we'll be back in just a minute with our guest, Dr. Maggie Baker. Uh, if you'd like to join the conversation, please call us eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. We would love to hear from you. You have money in your life. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The goal of financial coaching is to open up the conversation around money with your spouse, your children, or your extended family. Anne Hutchins works with individuals, families, and financial professionals to improve relationships with money. Her work with clients is confidential, honest, and fun. Visit Anne's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.abhutchins.com. That's abhutchins.com. Do you have financial goals for yourself? Do you want to be smart with money in all areas of your life? If you're ready to become more effective with your personal finances, then you might be ready to hire a financial coach. Since 2002, Brian Farr has helped hundreds of people improve their relationship with money. He's unbiased, honest, and approachable. 
If you'd like to learn more about financial coaching, visit Brian's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.brianhbar.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Money in Your Life with Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. I'm Brian Farr with my co-host, Ann Hutchins, and our guest, Dr. Maggie Baker. Dr. Baker is the author of Crazy About Money, How Emotions Confuse Our Money Choices and What to Do About It. You can reach uh, Dr. Baker at MaggieBakerPhD.com, and you can also find her book on Amazon, Crazy About Money. Dr. Baker, I know we have a caller on the line, so I think let's come right back and find out what uh, what our caller has to say, and then we'll let you uh, go from there. Okay. Good morning. You have money on your life. Good morning. Uh, I have a question for Dr. Baker. And uh, the, question, the question is, for those of us with uh, less gray hair uh, <laughs> and cash flow problems, uh, we find ourselves in a catch-22. The catch-22 is we get ourselves in this tight financial situation and then we don't trust ourselves to get out of it. And then we also have this myth about not being able to afford a financial coach or an advisor? How do we get unstuck from that catch-22? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, I hope I can do it justice for you. First of all, I think that that uh, the, the way to help yourself with that sense of that reality of not having enough money for everything that you need is to track your spending it's not fun, but it works so that if you for a month write down everything that you spend, you might find things that are taking a lot more of your money than you realize so that having done that, you can then maybe allocate to uh, finding a financial person to help you. Uh, if you can't find a uh a financial advisor or you find that they're going to be too expensive if you have some colleagues or friends who are pretty well educated about money um, just opening up your situation to a trusted friend to get the dialogue going and find out how they may have dealt with similar type issues could at least start you on the road and I I think that valued friends, uh, trustworthy friends, can be of enormous help. Um, if you're a member of a church or a synagogue, uh, going to the 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 pastor or the priest and talking to them, getting some ideas from them, uh, could be very valuable as well. It's interesting. Uh, I, I think we still have the caller on the line. Each of uh, Dr. Baker's suggestions are about reaching out 
uh, well, it's first organizing some information and then reaching out for a little bit of an additional information, a trusted other. Did I get that well, right? That's that very be? helpful. That's very helpful. Thank you. You're okay. Thank you for your call. Thank you. That's great. And uh, Maggie, we have an email here that uh -huh. is titled Emotional Money Issue. It's from Brenda. She says, I've always felt the worst decision my husband and I ever made was buying a timeshare. At the tender age of 25, we thought it a ticket to the world economically. 30 years later, that's right, it's paid for. The monthly maintenance fees plague us. I'm sick and angry every time I pay, sick that we spent so much, angry that we got duped, angry at the company and industry that the features do not hold true, embarrassed that we made a poor decision. How could we have not seen the implications? Trapped, how do we get out without ruining our stellar credit rating without paying more money, given we are willing to walk away from the property? How do we resolve this? It was an emotional buy that just keeps on giving. Oh. Boy. Whoa, that is a tough one. Yeah. That is a tough one because what I'm hearing is the despair in yeah. in having made that decision, and you know any uh, fun or or pleasure that came from it was so overwhelmed and weighed down by the sense of being duped and taken advantage of. Yeah. Um, gee. That's that's a, a real tough one. The only thing, I mean, I would be tempted to go to a lawyer and see what a lawyer might say about a situation like that, because it sounds, from you, from what I'm hearing, that it was it was a very fraudulent deal. That might be one thing you could do. The other thing is that I know timeshares can be sold on eBay, and I don't know whether you want to give your bad situation to somebody else but i know that that you can you can sell them on ebay um but that 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 story is is full of of uh, very heavy regret and i'm very sorry to hear that story yeah it I've, is go ahead i've had a couple of clients uh quite quite a few years ago now that were caught in similar things and and the the idea of selling uh the the secondary market for timeshares is not a robust market mm -hmm. it does it does exist but it's not robust yeah. but the the piece that i'm hearing in here that strikes me so much is is that the ideally some forgiveness and some ability to move forward but that's hard to do when you've got a monthly you know monthly assessment that's it, it's hard to forgive something forgive yourself for something that's still continuing well oh my I, gosh I guess, she's being triggered all the time exactly and that's what i guess i would do so this has been what i my observation is this is 30 years and what i might do is observe work around the emotion because it is an emotional issue right it doesn't sound like it it is a financial issue but mm -hmm. work around what those again going back to your uh tracking and experimenting what is it bringing up rather than the tactical how do we get rid of it but what is it bringing up and where are what, where do we go with that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a good point. To, to help them get unstuck, 
rather than focusing on how to get out of it, step back from that initially and figure out what is it that we're stuck in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, you know, that brings up my reaction when I lost a, that substantial amount of money in 2000. Mm-hmm. And I became very shut down and, and her despair in that reminds me of my own. And yes. I got so locked in that for a while that I was really paralyzed in a way that completely surprised me because I'm a pretty aware person, but it just took over. And I remember one evening I took a shower and then just burst into tears. And somehow that crying released all of the the negative emotion that I was feeling. And I got out of the shower and the next day I made a decision about the money that was critical to moving on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So it's like the emotional shift occurred before the, the, the money shift. Yes, I couldn't. I was so locked in just the way she sounds locked in yes. that I couldn't do anything except feel locked in. And then mm-hmm. once I broke out of that by just admitting that that what I had done didn't work very well and having enough forgiveness of myself that I could cry and wasn't so ashamed I could cry. And then once I did that, I I was able to make a decision that started the whole upward trend to where I am now. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if, if it, it, what was spoken about earlier with experimenting, that with money, there can we can get focused on what's the right solution. Mm. And so instead of opening ourselves up to a series of experiments and explorations, we can get over-focused on trying to find the right solution. That keeps us stuck. So if we can work back upstream, so to speak, and do some more experimenting, poke around a little bit, what about this or what about that? That could be a way. That may be where this woman is at, uh, that that the woman here with the the, um, timeshare situation. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And my the, my guess is she may discover that it's in small ways this is showing up in other places. Yeah. But the other the other advice I would give her is to reach out, mm-hmm. which was yeah. I was unable to do that until I had, you know, my kind of waterfall cry, and then after that I reached out and I just talking to other people, getting their input became very, very valuable. And when they they didn't look at me as a failure or they didn't look at me as a jerk or they didn't look at me as being highly duped because everybody else in 2000 who got over-invested in tech got pretty duped too, um, that helped heal me. So Maggie, forgive me if this is too personal. Before you reached out, what was it that was keeping you not reaching out what was holding you back from reaching out that sense of shame like Mm -hmm. oh i was so excited that we were you know we were making this money and i was participating and being a partner in it and then smack i just felt completely embarrassed and ashamed Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i'm guessing that's a common feeling yeah and if there's any any consolation in this, a professional, a psychologist for 30 years got smacked and it, it couldn't, couldn't move forward as quickly as she had hoped for. 
Exactly. That's what I'm hearing in your story, that this is, these are difficult waters that we're all swimming in when it comes to these finances. Oh, my goodness, yes. And that was the motivation for writing the book, because I felt, I felt so locked in with this, as I suspect the caller does, that once I got unlocked, I wanted to help other people who were similarly locked, that right. they could get unlocked and move on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I would say that you could uh, that, that your book has definitely accomplished your goal with that. I, well, that uh, makes I, my day, Brian. <laughs> I, well, I tell you, when I first picked it up, uh, it's been it's been a year or two ago that I first picked it up, and then when I reread it before the show, I was really struck how you you have an ability to combine the practical with that that understanding that comes from mm. what's going on underneath, what's going on in the brain, how are we getting stuck in our dark emotions. But you don't get overwhelmed by all of that. You say, okay, here's the terrain we're moving through. Here's the practical way to keep moving. Exactly. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm thrilled that that, that message got, got to you so strongly. Yeah, yeah. And did you have any final comments before we say goodbye to Maggie? The only thing that I'm wondering, I just want to make sure we mention the title of the book. It's Crazy About Money, and it's available at her website or at Amazon.com. Yeah. Okay. Well, Maggie, Dr. Maggie Baker, thank you very much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure to have you here today. Well, it's just been wonderful, and you guys uh, bring out the best of me. (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) Okay. Well, let me, uh, let's see. Let's look towards next week. Uh, we hope you can join us when our guest will be Dr. Robert Bizwadiner, who is widely known as the Indiana Jones of positive psychology. His research on happiness has taken him to such far-flung places as India, Israel, Greenland, and Kenya. He is best known for his pioneering work in the application of positive psychology. Do you sometimes wonder why your purchases don't yield the happiness you expect? Are you curious why some people don't make better decisions when they spend their money? Join us for the next episode of Money in Your Life when we explore these questions and many others with Dr. Robert B. Swastiner. So I think we have reached the end of the hour. Once again, it happens every every time we get near the end of the hour, and I'm like, no, no, we have more to talk about. But that will have to pick up next week. So... Thank you for listening today. I'm Brian Farr. And I'm Ann Hutchins. Thank you for making Money in Your Life part of your financial plan this week. Please join your hosts, Ann Hutchins and Brian Farr, again next Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.